Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, Lord, for this beautiful Sabbath day where even though we had an evening and night of storms, the, the sun returned as we knew it would. And the warmth can not only be felt by our physical bodies, but Lord, but we can, we can sense the warmth of Thy Spirit. We can realize that we serve a living God and we have a risen Savior that allows us to restore part of the garden that was damaged by sin, and we can once again walk with God. Lord, bless those that have traveled away from us. Be with those, Lord, that can't be with us for whatever reasons. Bless them as well. We're thankful for each soul that's here today. So now, Lord, speak to us out of thy word and give us insight. Give us direction. And we will thank thee for this, Father, in advance. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Dear ones, Thursday evening, I had the privilege of, of tuning into the forum that was done in, in Beverly Hills, and a scripture came to mind that is in uh, 1 Peter, the third chapter. So I'd like to read some verses from that. I'm going to begin reading with verse 7. But I have a question to ask you, kind of as a preface. What is your what is the vision for your Christian life? What do, you, what do you hope to get? Or not, get's not a right word. What do you hope to attain in spirituality? Have you thought about that? How close do you want to be to God? I mean, that's an interesting question that I think all of us need to ask ourselves, what type of a relationship do we really want to have with God? Do we, want to, do we want to be as Adam and Eve were before the fall, walking with God in the cool of the evening? How much of the Holy Spirit's power do you want to have present in your life? And how great of a witness do you want to be for Christ? The reality is I was pondering those questions is that that is all entirely determined by me. No one else, I can't determine the answer to those questions for you, nor can you determine them for me. If I want to truly walk with God in the cool of the evening, I can. If I want to have this extremely close relationship with God, I can. If I want to truly walk in the Spirit and have the magnificent power that God gives us through His Spirit to be lights in a dark world and to proclaim the truth, I can. The only limiting factor is me. And it was really sobering when I thought about that. So with the Lord's help, I'm going to begin reading 1 Peter, beginning with, chapter, beginning with verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 8. Verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye, that ye are thereunto called, 
that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love his life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, that ye may be ready always to answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you, accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure thereunto, even baptism, does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Through verse 22. Peter, and I love this, I love this section of scripture because Peter, Peter doesn't use a lot of words to say what he needs to say. He just says it. We know that Peter was very impulsive. He, he often spoke and then wondered, was that a good thing to say? And sometimes the Lord had to say, Peter, you're wrong. You should have kept your mouth shut. But Peter had matured a lot, and this is getting toward the latter part of his life. And he, we know at the beginning part of chapter 3, and I didn't read it, he has the, the instructions to husbands and wives. But then in, in verse 8, he says, Finally, be all of one mind having compassion one of another. He's not saying be everybody exactly the same. He's not talking about uniformity, where we all talk the same, look the same, walk the same. But he's saying be of the same mind. Now the Apostle Paul would say we should have the mind of Christ. And if in fact we have the mind of Christ, then we will be fulfilling exactly what Peter was saying, is we all have the same mind. And then he builds on that, and he says, having compassion one of another. What is compassion? Compassion is, is truly, and, and, and Peter said it in other verses, preferring one another. Looking out for the other more than yourself. 
not out to make sure you get what you deserve, because the reality is if we all got what we deserved, we wouldn't want it, because what we deserve is death. And it's, sometimes that might be hard for, for Americans, for, for citizens of the United States to comprehend, because we, you know, the foundation of our government, of our country, said that we believe that all men, women, are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I agree wholeheartedly with that. But that doesn't mean, just because I have a right, doesn't mean I have to take it. The Apostle Paul so many times could have saved himself many stripes and beatings if he would have claimed his right as a Roman. But he didn't. So many times he didn't. Toward the end of his life, he does. And why did he? Because he believed that the Spirit, he, he was told by God, you're going to go to Rome to testify of me before Caesar. And he did before Nero. Because he asserted his right as a Roman. But as a believer, we're free. We are completely free. And our rights are heavenly rights. We are children of the king. And if we, if, we, if, we, if we make an issue about every little thing here that we could be right about or we could have coming to us, what kind of a witness are we then? There may be times when the Spirit will tell us, and we're going to get a little bit later how we make sure we know that, there may be times when the Spirit might say, I want you to assert your rights now as a citizen. But there may be times when the Spirit says, just be quiet. Take the short end of the stick. Because it's more important that they see Christ than you. And then he says, love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. You know, we don't use that term courteous much anymore. I don't hear people talking about people showing courtesy. To me, what's courtesy is just being kind, holding a door for someone, letting someone else into the parking place, even though you've been driving around the parking lot looking for it, and it finally opened up, and two cars come there, and one of you is going to turn right, the other is going to turn left, but you're all going for the same parking place. Courtesy is giving a gesture, take the parking place. We may have gotten there first. It might be our right to be there. But do we really need that parking place? Perhaps the person that's in the other car has trouble walking. Mike and I were helping the, the, this old man and his son. It's a boat show in Skinny Atlas. And this, this, this man drives up. And this man had to be 90, right? Wouldn't you think, Mike? And he's, and he's driving an old Mercury Grand Marquis. And he's got this really nice boat. And so his son is sitting in the passenger seat. And his son was much older than me, I think. So finally, after the car gets jackknifed and, you know, trying to back the trailer and the son just says, Dad, it's enough. Or one of them says, it's enough. You know, so the son gets in and he gets it straightened out. And then to try to get Dad in the boat, 
climbs up from on one step on the trailer, then up onto the fender, in what seemed to be an eternity, but probably was 15, 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds, more and more, to get one leg at a time into that boat. But you know what? Dad got in the boat. Now, the sad part was this. So Dad starts the boat up. Instead of putting it in reverse, he puts it in forward. Then he quickly realizes he's in forward. Of course, it's a boat ramp, right? So then he slams it in reverse and takes off. And the son says, I guess he wasn't going to wait for me. So now Dad is taking this really nice boat to the village and is going to have to somehow put it in the docks. And I don't know how it happened, but they got there safely. The boat was not damaged. But maybe Dad would be the one in the car trying to get to that parking spot. But you know, I'm in a hurry. And I waited a long time for that parking spot. What would Jesus do? Take the parking spot. Number nine, verse nine, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarize blessing. Why? Knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. You see, the person that shows the courtesy, the person that doesn't give what the other person deserves, the person that renders good for evil, gets the blessing. Not only are we allowed to then, not only does, does the Lord allow us to be a light for him and a witness, but we get the blessing out of it. Now, that doesn't mean they're still not going to be a miserable person. They might still be a grumpy person, but we're blessed. For he that will love life and see good days... Now, if we think about that, if someone, if you would walk up to someone and say, would you like to love life and have good days? Everybody would say yes. I don't know anyone that say, no, I really want to have a miserable life with miserable days and I want to die young. Like, pe people aren't going to say that. But what he says here, what Peter's saying is, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that speak no guile. Isn't that interesting? That if we can just, through the power of the Spirit, close our mouth. Don't speak falsehoods. Don't, don't attack people. Don't speak evil of other people. And you know, so, but what if it's the truth? Well, it doesn't mean you need to say it. It could very well be the truth. But we don't need to say it. And this is, you know, this is something that I struggle with. You all know I struggle with this. And maybe Peter put it there because he struggled with it. But it's the truth. I know it's the truth, but you don't need to say it. Just ask the Lord to help you guard your tongue and purge that evil thought from your mind because it doesn't, it may be the truth, and yes, the person might deserve it, but what good are we going to get out of saying it and sharing it. And then he gets to verse 11. And this is one that I actually had highlighted with a red asterisk. I don't know when I did it, sometime in the last 30 years. Let him eschew evil. Now, there's a scripture that says Job was a man that eschewed evil. 
And we don't, we don't use that word eschew anymore, but what it means is take care to avoid. So are we people that take care to avoid evil? We're presented with evil everywhere. You know, um, if, we have, if we have any smart devices, there's evil that just shows up as you, as you, you know, I don't go to the mall. I just don't enjoy it. There was a time when I did. Um, but you can walk through the mall and evil is everywhere. You can walk down any street. Evil is everywhere. Just take care to avoid it. Do I need to go there? No. Do I need to pick this up? No. Just take care to avoid it. And then he's, but, but I love what he says. He doesn't just say eschew evil, but he says, and do good. Well, let's not complicate that. It's kind of like when, when someone said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? What does it mean to do good? Just do good. Where can we do good? Everywhere. From the time we get up in the morning till the time we fall asleep at night, we can be doing good. We know what those things are, that the courtesy, the kindness, the charity, the long-suffering, looking for opportunities to do something for someone. And the amazing thing is that if you, if, if you battle feeling down, now I'm not talking about clinical depression type of things, but if you're a person that goes through times when you feel really down, if you do things for other people, you won't feel as down. Because you're occupying your mind with positive things. Now, we, we, we know that negative feelings and negative thoughts are three times more powerful than positive ones. So you need three positives for every negative. It's just a fact. Now, there's a good reason why negative emotions or negative experiences are so impactful for us. It's to keep us safe. However... We need to be highly intentional about building in those positive thoughts, those positive emotions. And they are everywhere. We, can, it, we just have to want to do it. Think about going through the day looking for things that are right and good and pleasant. And just thinking on them. Better yet, write them down. But if, sometimes you can't. Some people would say it's being fully present and appreciating it. You know, we, so we could walk out the door and we can see the big planting there and we can either see the new, the new plants that were put in and the new mulch or we can see weeds that are still there. It's our choice. I'll tell you, one th you, if you just walk this way instead of this way, you see a lot more good than you do. Now, I'm not saying walk all the way around, but, you know, over time, we can make that look just as good as the other side. Some of that just has to grow in. But focus on what's nice, not what's not nice. We can, the news, you're going to have to look for good news. But it's there. Just look for it. The reason why it's harder to find good news is bad news gets more clicks. And we all know that news agencies are all about clicks because clicks get revenue. Let him issue evil and do good. And then look at the rest of this verse. Then there's a semicolon. Let him seek peace and ensue it. What that means is pursue it. 
So what I'm, what I'm getting from Peter here is that peace is just not naturally going to come. If it was naturally going to come, he wouldn't say look for it. And I remember years ago, and I don't know, I think I shared this, but I don't know how long ago I did. It might have been when I was doing Eileen's test, taking Eileen's, Eileen's testimony, but I remember as a new convert having tremendous guilt feelings. Tremendous guilt feelings. And just the devil was just beating me up and beating me up. And I remember Brother Greg saying to me once we were riding in a car, and he used these words. He said, do you realize that it is a sin to not let the peace of God rule in your heart? Whoa. Well, I certainly didn't want to sin. But Paul was saying in that verse, I believe in Colossians, that we have to let that happen. That means that it naturally will, naturally we will struggle with that. So my brother and my sister, those days when, you, when the peace isn't in their heart the way you want it to be, go back in prayer, sing some hymns, spend some time in the word, listen to, 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 to spiritual songs that will lift you up and let that peace come back. We have to seek it. We have to pursue it. And as I was reading through this, this verse earlier this morning, I, I started asking myself, so do I seek peace with all men? Not just God. Do I pursue it? Or do I have relationships where I'm just like, well, we're just going to kind of let that one go. No, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says to seek it, to pursue it, to engage in making sure that, as, as the, you know, there is the scripture that says, as much as lieth within you, Live peaceably with all men, but we can't use that as a cop-out. You know, you could use that verse as a cop-out that says, well, I've done everything I can do. Really? Maybe not. Maybe there is more we could do. Um, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. Think about that. I ask the question, what kind of relationship do we want to have with God? What kind of relationship do we want to have with the Lord? His eyes are upon the righteous. Now, it's not my righteousness. It's Christ that's imputed to me. But if I'm doing these things that Peter is saying, God's going to be watching. He's going to be really interested in my days. And he's going to lay out events and opportunities and experiences for me that will be only good for me, always. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to be a bad experience, but it will be for me good. Sometimes I have to go through difficult times to get my attention, to wake me up, so that I don't go astray. And then he also says, but the, uh, but the face of the Lord is against those that do evil. You know, wow, if you ever want to have a conversation with someone, and you can have an open conversation, and, you, and they can say, well, you know, what's the big deal if I do these things? You know, 1 Peter 3, verse 12, says that the Lord's face will be set against you. Do you really want to have an enemy that's God? It's our choice. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? And so, you know, he sees that, he says that, and then he's like... 
It's like the Spirit saying, Peter, you got to continue because there are going to be people that may try to use that as a thing that says, well, if you're a child of God, nothing bad's going to happen. You know, there are people that preach the prosperity gospel. You know, whatsoever a righteous man doeth shall prosper. So if you're a righteous person, everything's going to be good. Eternally, yes. But there may be some things that we're going to have to go through here on, on this earth. And so then he, he, he says in verse 14, But and if ye suffer for righteousness, righteousness sake, happy are ye. So what he's saying is, if you are going to suffer... We should be happy because what it means is that we are partakers of the suffering that Christ had to go through. That's, what, that's why it's happening. And we should really be thankful that we can suffer in that way. Um, and then he says, and be not afraid of their terror, nor either be troubled. Don't be preoccupied with the people that might be against you. Why? Because they can't do anything to us unless God allows it. So how much might he allow? He allowed an awful lot to Job. But remember the conversation between Satan and God when God said, but you cannot have Job. Job is mine. You can take everything he has away. You can afflict him physically, but you cannot have Job. That's the way God feels toward us as well. I'm thankful to say that I have not been put in the test that Job was, but we can all rest, brothers and sisters, that there is no one, there is no power in or out of this earth that can snatch us out of our Father's hand. And when we get to the end of our rope and we think there is no hope, let go. Don't hold on even. Just fall into the arms of Jesus because he will never let us go. Ever. Then we get to verse 15, which is such a key verse. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What does that mean? Something that is sanctified is set apart for a specific purpose. So we have to be highly intentional about setting our hearts apart for God. It needs to be our thought life. We need to, you know, that's why I asked the question at the beginning, what kind of a relationship do you want to, what kind of, and I, I, I was hesitant to use the word vision, but that's what we really need to start thinking about. What is your end goal in your relationship with God? And it needs to be the deepest, strongest, most vibrant relationship we can have. If we're blessed to have a spouse, you know, I, so I, I'm blessed to, to be married to my wife almost 40 years. Hard to believe that, that, next, that next month it's going to be 40 years. I got others in the room that we're getting to 40 years. Like, where did this go? How did that happen so quickly, right? But what kind of a relationship do I want with her? Ah, I'm good. Ah, I'm good. It's okay. No, it isn't just okay. It can't, it can't just be, yeah, we're good. What are we missing? I didn't re specifically read the part about husbands and wives, but, but my brothers and my sisters that are blessed to have a spouse 
A Christian marriage is an opportunity to reinstate the peaceful purity of the garden that Adam and Eve had. That's what God wants for couples, for husbands and wives. He wants us to enjoy what Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden when there were no distractions, no other people, just the two of them and God. That should be my goal in my relationship with my wife. So then the same thing would say, well, and for that to happen, right? I know what you're saying. Well, Dave, if you really want that to happen, your relationship with God needs to be that desire too because that's going to drive the sex. You're right. My relationship with God will drive the relationship that I have with my spouse, with my children, my brothers, my sisters, and the world. But he says, so sanctify, set it apart. Why? So that you will be, so, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's the tool that we're going to use to evangelize. The, that's, no, that's not the tool we're going to use. That's the tool God's going to use to evangelize the world. We need to be people of hope in a time when there is no hope, in a time when nothing makes sense. People should look at us and see our smiles. They should see us rejoicing. They should see us say, you know, you're right. This is a real mess here. But I'm one day closer to the kingdom. I'm one day closer to the point when I can see Jesus face to face. Now I talk with him. But someday I'm going to see him face to face. And someday all my aches and pains are going to be gone. And I know that even until then, my life is so much more full, so much richer than those that don't have Christ in their hearts. Why would I not serve him? If there were no heaven and there were no hell, the best life on earth is the life of a believer. Because we have no guilt, we have no fear. We can have incredible peace. And then having a good conscience, I want to make sure I end on time, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you, uh, falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if it, for it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also suffered for our sins. He's drawing the comparison back. He's saying Christ died for us. He suffered for us. And he rose again. From, he had victory over sin and death. He, and it talks about preaching to the prisoners. He descended into the depths of hell to preach to those that, were, that had died so that they could hear the truth. They could get the opportunity that we have. And he rose again on the third day that we could have life. And then I just want to quickly jump to the the, the part about, it talks about baptism, and it talks about the fact that, you know, that we're, it says we're saved through baptism, but it says not the washing away of, of, of the flesh, but it's a good conscience. It's being able to testify of the fact that we are reborn. We, and we talked about it just a few short weeks ago, you know, that if, that if Eileen would not have been reborn, she simply would have gone in dry and come out wet but that the baptism was a testimony to the world of something that had already taken place in her life. The fact that she was 
dead, but is now alive in Christ and could confess with that good conscience of, with, that she has with God. Dear ones, it's my prayer that we can just get excited about our Christian walk. Don't buy into all the negativity. Rejoice because we're children of the King. May the Lord add his blessing to you.